right, so we're doing something a little different today. This is fun. We've got special guest Tom Davis hello, on the podcast. Hello, hello. How are you? Yeah. Uh, Radio Keys Land. We've been uh, discussing whether or not we should bring guests on the show, and we all wanted to bring guests on the show, um, and Tom's not really a guest. We know him <laughs> pretty well. <laughs> yeah. But you guys, all 12 of you out there who listen to us, haven't heard Tom yet. So I think, I think you're in the 75 or 80 <laughs> listen range. I mean, yeah, I think that you're... Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully we're getting up there. Anyway, Tom Davis is uh, our bass player for Radio Keys, and he's also um, my brother-in-law. Yes. So <laughs> there you go. He's Emily's, uh, Emily's not here, for yes. those wondering. <laughs> yeah. If you notice that yeah. the, uh, there's a voice missing on the podcast. The lack of feminine on. energy in this yes. place right now. Yes. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we decided to do a slightly different format. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to do a little... I don't want to call it like a ranking system, because that makes it sound like controversial. Like, these are right. my top three locks of the week, or whatever. You know, <laughs> some... <laughs> It's it's more just we're going to talk about some musicians that have inspired and influenced us the most from our personal viewpoint and just kind of get into them a little bit. Um, yeah. So Tom actually had the idea of uh, doing bass players. Because yeah. I, I was like, it's, you know, it's it's your first podcast. It's my first podcast with you. So I think it would be better just to do something with a little bit less research involved and something that's more just like a, fl- a free-flowing type of thing where we can just chat and have like a more natural conversation than trying to like break yeah, down the I, entire thing. I just I thought that since I was the bass player for the band that um, it would make sense for us to uh, to talk about something that's kind of bass related and, and yeah. uh, you know give the bass players a little bit of shine because you gotta uh, give the bass players a shine. We we get a little we get pushed down and uh, not talked about a whole lot. It's it's just <laughs> the front man and the guitar players yeah. and, and the singers well, that's and that's who deserves it. Yeah, is that is that yeah, what it is? Especially no. the guitarist singers. Of course the, the ones that sing you get and the double, play guitar. Yeah, you get yeah of course. You get you get twice as you can be twice as late to the gig and <laughs> carry half the shit. Yeah, that's what happens. Emily's actually really good at carrying shit to the gig for a singer. She's probably the best singer I've had yeah. in terms of carrying, st- like loading in and loading out. Yeah, like I, a lot of singers will just, you know, they're like, "Well, I don't have any instruments to carry." That's the ones that are you just know? singers, just like oh. they don't even they don't have any gear. They just yeah roll in. But no, Emily, like she carries the drums. She carries the mic stands. For but sure. She always puts our mics up, you know, and, and takes them off. So she does uh she does a lot, which is I think maybe it's um something she learned from like doing the Steve Sage class. I'm sure thing. the etiquette of Steve yeah. Sage is is uh is awesome. I know you guys have talked about Steve Sage mm-hmm. before on on this podcast yeah. and uh he was a how huge important he was for I mean everyone in the local scene in our scene, a lot of them went to that class and so almost everyone. They teach I, really good stage etiquette and really good stuff like that. So Well Steve Sage was a really interesting story because he was like always you know maybe a session guy or always on like yeah. the verge of being in a band that was making it big but never quite did but right. just a killer guitar player and also like a real kind of a guy's guy in terms yeah. of being a musician you know absolutely so then he came up with the idea of teaching a college class that was just like a rock band class and talking about stage etiquette and the do's and don'ts of of just being a, a musician a professional yeah. musician he, from he would tell us how to like fill out our tax forms and stuff like yeah, as a absolutely. musician like everything and and uh he, it was a great you know a great loss for our community yeah it was it's really sad he, to see him yeah. and uh they put on a really cool show for him um right right before he passed and uh and had a lot of his old students kind of come back and, and, and put together the show. There's some really cool pictures from there. I, I wish I was there. I didn't get a chance to go. Yeah, I, I think I was in Santa Barbara at the time. But a, I remember just being, like, heartbroken yeah. uh, in Santa Barbara and thinking about it and just being like, oh, man, I wish I could have done more, you know? Right. I mean, he and I never – I mean, I, I don't know. There's probably a very few students that he had, like, 
really good relationships with. He was always like kind of a a red ass about things, you know what I mean? Like he would like it, like tough love to the maximum. Absolutely, <laughs> but he would say what you needed to hear, though. Yeah, I think he at the wouldn't. Same time. But that's the, that's the thing is like, not there's not many people nowadays that will actually tell you the truth, like good or bad or or well, whatever it is. But the alternative is 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 learning it on your own, like while like you're at a gig and yeah. and you do something that's a faux pas that you don't know about, and then. Yeah. Now you're not going to get invited back to the gig. You know, if the thing that happens, if it happens in this class at worst, you're embarrassed. I mean, he's going to take you back. Oh, and he'll like, oh, humiliate no, you. Yeah. <laughs> but then he's going to be like, you know, you're just, lear- you need to learn this. Like, this is a yeah. lesson you need My to learn. My cousin so. Matt, one time he was singing lead. We did this stupid little cover band. It was like an acoustic duo, kind of like Radio Keys used to be, but it was like a, more like Tenacious D. We did like cover songs kind of and like joke songs. songs. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Matt was singing and grabbing the mic stand and oh, it like man. started like flopping all over the place and so he <laughs> he made him set up the mic stand and then like unset it for every single band that came up for the entire class that's a good lesson it man. was so d- he messed it up once yeah, you gotta do it yeah. 20 more times it was just he does stuff like that but i mean he definitely made me a better just Absolutely. a better musician or better pro and and uh yeah i can't remember how we got started oh emily loading yeah. in and out <laughs> <laughs> loading gear so emily doesn't like circle. yeah, she doesn't do a lot of the things that a normal singer would do, like just show up thirty minutes late and you know. Well, I guess she's married to the bass player, so she kind of has to come early and do. Yeah, do well, it means that she's riding with yeah. me, so we're always early, you <laughs> yeah. know, and you gotta, uh, loading everything in. And I also do sound for the band too, so I do a lot of setup, uh, additional setup whenever yeah. we do the full PA system. Yeah, and that's always definitely helpful to have yeah like a sound guy in the band yeah absolutely yeah. i think every band needs to have one person that that understands at least the basics of like a, a mixing console and, and and how things work um and and it happens too free too commonly that the band shows up and no one knows how to do anything and the sound guy's sick or whatever and yeah like what do they do for the night like <laughs> yeah, like they, that they, they one. They call their buddy Tom. To <laughs> we, yeah, we had that one Easter gig, and like we just show up, and oh, there's literally nightmare. nothing. There's no. Were, were there even XLR cables? There, like there I wasn't can't even. There wasn't even a person to talk to about it. Yeah, we just like showed up, and there was it was a music festival, and I'm I'm doing air quotes. Yeah, if, if you loose if you loose music are listening festival. At home. They definitely made it sound way cooler. Yeah, and it was like ten bands, and it looked to me like ten bands that just like gone on one after another and no one knew what was going on until right when they got there and it was like oh yeah you're setting up everything yourself and i hope you brought cables and mic stands and mics and yeah we ha- stuff I ended up having to borrow a mic that would I normally think. they would normally provide i mean yeah. like, let alone the fact that it's a music festival and again the air quotes uh, and it's like i guess no one's getting paid yeah. either huh yeah i guess <laughs> well and it's not like the yeah not like the bands got paid more because of that that was no. uh, that was a pretty big joke but Anyway, <laughs> yeah, you'd be shocked. But today, I think, like I said earlier, we're going to talk about some musicians that really influence us, and not necessarily, you know, like the Steve Sages of the world or like people we know, but like really famous musicians. Yeah, and, people and who shaped our sound and, and who we are, and um, as a music, as an artist, a musician, as an artist, and. Um, well, that's what Emily always says. She talks about like how your musical influences create like this Frankenstein version totally. of a you know of a instrumentalist or yeah. a singer or whatever. And it's like you take little be- bits and pieces from everyone that you you know that you listen to. And I know I for sure did. So we we decided to do three just to kind of keep it simple and talk about three. Um, for me, I'm going to do three guitar players, and uh, you're going to do I'm going to do three bass players. Yeah. And 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 I picked the three bass players. I picked. 
are, I wouldn't necessarily call them my, my three favorites as much as I, I tried to, they were all really big influences on who I am as a mu- musician. Yeah. And they, they represented a different, um, part of my spectrum of, of playing, you know, yeah. um, I think that, uh, it takes a lot of different styles of music and a lot of different things to, to kind of make, uh, who you are at the Frankenstein that you, you become, like totally. you said. And you have like, you have a very strong approach to playing. Like you're very physical yeah. with the bass, yeah. I've noticed. And yeah. I think it comes from practicing on that. Like, the acoustic? Uh, yeah, at least somewhat because absolutely that, that thing is a little bit tougher to, you know, pull and, um, you definitely have a very, you know, powerful, aggressive way of playing with your hands. You know, especially it, your right hand. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you, that you, well, not funny that you say that, but it's just um, a big part of that is is a, a fourth influence. Is not somebody that I'm going to talk about today, but Les Claypool from Primus. Yeah. He, he plays, I'm shocked he didn't put him on the list. He plays was, really yeah. aggressively, and he plays with a lot of different technique, and um, that that's where I get a lot of the um, aggressive technique that I play with yeah. my right hand, especially. Um, yeah, I'm. I, I normally would have put him on. Um, he's probably my favorite bass player of all time. We can give him a little I, shout out. Give him a little oh, shout absolutely. out here. Yeah. In the Bay Area too. He's from San Pablo. You know oh, that? I did not know that. Yeah. No. Oh yeah. Primus is a Bay Area band, and uh, oh, he is shit. one of the most incredible musicians I've ever seen play live. Like uh, to <sighs> yeah. see him come out and yeah. play the stuff that he plays yeah. in recording, note for note, while like stomping his foot and just like having and a good singing. old time yeah. and singing. Yeah. Just. Well, I know he used to play in, for Tom Waits. Uh, yeah. Well, he had Tom Waits featured in a few of his songs too. And like uh, Tommy the Cat is like my my favorite Primus song, and that's uh, has Tom Waits uh, vocals. He does some vocal nice. stuff. Um, yeah, I haven't heard that one. Yeah. But I, I yeah, I was shocked you didn't you didn't pick him. But yeah, well, I, I guess really know now him we from, talked about him, so I did. Kind yeah, of there we go. He's on the yeah. list. He's, he's an my, honor, honorable mention. Yeah, well, he's yeah probably my number one um, when it comes to uh, my favorite bass players. Um, the three that I picked um, are, are just because I felt like they fit the radio key style better and kind of how I play in the band and and um, kind of they're they're yeah. I, so my, my three that I picked is uh, James Jamerson. Um, he was a Motown studio musician for, for 20 years, and then he had a career after that. And uh, Bootsy Collins, who's uh, Parliament Funkadelic is what most people know him as, yeah. but he was also James Brown's bass player and did a couple of other things. Back in the back in the 60s, he was James uh, Brown's bass player? Yeah. Well, he only, I guess he, and, and I, uh, he only was on the, in that band for one year and he was 18 oh, he was 18 when he when he got picked up and it was him and his two brothers uh James Brown picked him up uh after his Holy. whole band quit yeah because of a money dispute and then Bootsy Collins played and, and instantly James Brown and Bootsy Collins clashed heads because uh uh Bootsy Just is very uh, well he's a really strong uh personality on stage especially everyone wants to see him play and what he's doing and James Brown's the the center of attention there so you know that's a pretty funny that's a good uh segue to my obviously it's like pretty basic for a guitar player to say but my main guy that got me into guitar was hendrix yeah of course. without a doubt but yeah. i mean everyone and every guitar player you've ever met whether they know it or not hendrix it's probably the reason they got right. into guitar right. like um but he had the same problem he would he would uh you know he um was playing with the uh who was it it was um it was a little richard Oh yeah, he was playing with Little yeah. Richard and uh, the Isley Brothers, I yeah. think. And like they, all, he got fired from all those bands because he was just doing too much, yeah, you know, well, and just stealing the spotlight. And I think it's the, I mean, it's the best for him. There's a pretty funny uh, a video of him um, with Little Richard, 
and there's another video of him playing uh, machine gun or shotgun. Sorry, shotgun. Yeah. And um, he's like doing you know the steps that they always do in those Motown bands. But then he'll be like, and like slide right. with his elbow like down the neck yeah. and just come back <laughs> and you're just track. like, whoa, dude. And he's you know he was playing upside down guitars, lefty, real flashy yeah. style. So it's funny. It's like these guys were meant to be you know frontmen. They weren't meant to be that guy in the totally. background. Uh, you know, um, uh, Jameson, James Jameson played bass on that shotgun and that song. No way. Yeah, he totally did. And yeah, the recording, it, I saw it today. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I gotta. That's uh, crazy. I don't know if Hendrix so played funny. in the like the recording. I know there's a video of him playing it. Yeah, it's um, what's this? Who is it that does shotgun? It's um, I thought it was the Isley Brothers. It's not the Isley Brothers. It was uh, I have it right here. Junior Walker is who did it. Mm, Junior Walker. Okay. Yeah. And uh, James James Jamerson played uh, played bass um, on all those sessions or a lot of those sessions. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm looking at this this video of Hendrix doing a shotgun. I'm yeah. Not sure if you've I've seen, seen it. it. No, yeah. we've, we've done it. Uh, we've we've watched it during a rock band. Oh, one of our uh, rock when band we, nights. We play the. Uh, <laughs> bunch of different live Which performances. Which is a super fun thing people should do. I don't think people Absolutely. do that stuff enough. It, we, I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, but we we'll, definitely have. We like to do what's called rock concert at night. We'll like start drinking and then we just kind of each queue up like live performances of bands that we like and recordings that we want to see. And then you get yeah. to really see, you know, that song that you hear all the time, maybe on the radio, but in the flesh that you might not have ever seen before. Well, I also like the, um, I especially like the older recording stuff, mm -hmm. um, just to see like what little Richard looked like at, you know, 20 years old, 20, whatever years That's old. That's the thing is everyone pictures, out. yeah, everyone pictures like the Rolling Stones as these old bats right. now who like tour the country. Right. But then if you watch like some, 1968 Rolling Stones. Totally. Like, oh man, these guys were young studs back in the day. 50 years ago. Yeah. I mean, they have 50 yeah. years of rock and roll afterwards after that, you know? But it also gives you nowadays. a better appreciation for the song too because then you don't think of it as just like, oh, this is my dad's music, you know? Because like... Totally. You look at it as like, oh, the like... If I'm a 20-something-year-old and I'm looking at the Rolling Stones who are 20-something-year-olds, yeah, it's this, a lot different than looking at the Stones as 70-something-year-olds. Well, this is 20-something-year-old music, you know, yeah. even though it's you know 50 years old on yeah. top of that. Yeah. But it was that crazy. Isn't stuff. it amazing that Keith Richards still alive? Yeah, I think it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> I did, he has some genes. I don't know what it is. Some yeah. kind of resistance. Something. He's like a he's like a Twinkie. Yeah. Like he just never goes back. Oh, no, he just know? has no expiration. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, do you want to talk a little more about uh, uh, yeah. Bootsy um, Collins? Or? Yeah, well, so my third bass player I never even got to oh, was, okay. uh, it was John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin. And um, I just thought he was the, he's the quintessential rock bass player for me. I, I think he's my favorite of all of Him the, and John Entwistle. Uh, Entwistle's huge, yeah. too. And he, I mean, he he's easily on my list of yeah. you know, whatever list. And, and I think that um, I kind of picked these, these three um, bass players specifically because I didn't want it to be a top whatever list I wanted yeah. it to be like, these are three people who I really think that people should know about. And I thought they had interesting stories and I thought yeah. that their, their music pertained to similar to radio keys music. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We could just get right into it. Yeah. With, go uh, ahead. Which, whoever you want to start out with. James Jamerson is my first. I, I, I just love his style. So he, he played, um, he's active from 1956 until he died in uh, 1983. And how did he die? He died super young and he died of, um, uh, cirrhosis. Oh, I knew it. Of the liver uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. from being He's an alcoholic, alcoholic yeah. you know, from his alcoholism. Apparently, it was well documented that he had serious problems with uh, alcohol. Yeah, there's a lot of people who say, I can't remember what song it was, but I heard this story from someone about James Jamerson where yeah. he like recorded like this crazy bass line, passed out, blacked out, drunk, like lying on wow. his back. Yeah. And then four or five years later, 
Um, they said, I bet you couldn't play that again if you tried. And he was like, I bet you I can do it in one try. <laughs> and he, and he, one and he nailed it. it. Yeah, just of course he did. It. This guy's a monster. Yeah. Well, so he's just an absolute uh, beast. And, and the thing is, that's crazy is that uh, we don't really know all of the stuff that he was featured on because uh, through looking this up today, um, I, I guess uh, Motown didn't credit any of their studio musicians until 1971. Um, so That's he's wild. not on the credits for a lot of the songs that he was playing on. I mean, I think we can go back and listen to it. And there's a couple of other uh, Motown guys. But just, I mean, he wrote My Girl. He wrote a lot of the tight Temptations bass lines, a lot yeah. of the uh, Jackson 5 uh, bass lines. Yeah, he um, did I Want You Back, right? Uh, no, I, I Or is I that the common misconception? It, it's, it's a common misconception. Yeah. And I thought that he had done that until about a month or two ago. I went on this... Um, uh, tone mission to, to, to find new tone um, for a bass uh, for a couple of songs uh, for this Radio Keys album we're, we're doing. Uh, I'm sure you've talked about it a lot on the podcast. I haven't caught up. I'm a few behind. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all, too? <laughs> That's my, my uh, nice way of saying I haven't had time. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, he, he's not uh, the bass player on that song, but he's he has a ton of songs to his credits where I couldn't even... I'd bore you telling you all the songs. Um, go check them out. Let's hear, let's hear some of the the top hits. You said My Girl was obviously a big Okay, one. so yeah, My Girl is definitely on there. Um, let's see. I, I had pulled up a list of, of Jamerson stuff. Let's see if... Okay, so Ain't No Mountain High Enough by uh, Marvin Gaye. Classic. That's a classic bass classic, line. If you think yeah. about that song, it's like the first thing I think of is the bass line. You know, the boom, <laughs> boo-doo, yeah. boo-doo, doo-doo. Yeah. Great descending. Yeah, yeah. Counterpoint. Great, yeah. great descending line. Um, I Was Made to Love Her by Stevie Wonder. I... It's it's one of those songs that you probably don't know just by the word those uh, the name, but when you listen to the bass line, it's it's funky as hell, and it's it's a lot of little notes. He does a lot of um, uh, staccato uh, sounding, um, uh, and he just is chock full of notes. It's kind of his style that that, yeah. he, that he does, and he has this um, real thuddy um, uh, bass tone, which is what this mission to find uh, tone was that I was I've been doing. I wanted to kind of replicate his tone for totally. a few of our songs, and. Um, I think I did it pretty successfully with this new bass I've been putting together. Yeah, and, no, um, I like it a lot. It has a little sponge under the... Yeah. Well, it's the, also... Um, the, the, biggest, the biggest difference is um, the strings, the flat round sprint strings, which is what uh, James Jamerson used. And uh, yeah. and then you do a sponge underneath the bridge to really deaden it up, and it just uh, kind of sucks all yeah. that re- resonance out of it, and it's real thunk. You know, like it just kind of yeah, has Yeah, it kind of sound. sounds almost like an upright a little right, bit, but right. not, obviously not as woody but you know definitely a very similar kind of tone yeah he, he also did a bunch of other stevie wonder stuff uh, for once in my life um let's see I, I had another list i can't find right now of course but um yeah he's just he's credited on a ton of different recordings yeah. um uh, throughout the the 60s and 70s and then um let's see what else i have here um, I just I thought that he he really um, ex- expanded the bass player's role in 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 music in general. Um, he kind of approached it as like I'm not just going to play the root notes and just yeah. play the low ends. Like he kind of played it as a um, as a lead in some places. It's almost like jazz, almost right. But he was super tasteful in it. That yeah. he he never was like commanding the spotlight necessarily. But yeah. I bet you anyone that sat there and looked at him play live early in his career was just like, who is this guy? Well, his guy? pocket was incredible too incredible because he's playing all player. these notes, but not a single one of them is like out of place. You right. know, they're not off. 
he's always so locked in yeah. with the percussion and the just the the feel, the groove, the drums. He's always so locked in. So he might play these notes that you might think of as like an afterthought, right? But they're locking up with something. In, and and in the his kit. his dynamics are really important. And yeah. um, his he does like a lot of little pickup notes and a lot of little ghost note stuff that you you don't really hear it until you you're you're looking at the 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 music of it. Um, there's this cool video that has this uh, graph of him, all the notes that he's playing and all the songs, and you kind of take a whole other appreciation for how how many notes he has in each bass line that he's doing, mm-hmm. and it's just a, it's a pretty cool way of looking at it. But uh, so um, he he went on to uh, uh, form the Funk Brothers with with all the other uh, and there's that great incredible um, musicians that that standing, did the stacks yeah. recordings. And if you want to learn more about the Funk Brothers, you should watch that movie, uh, Standing in the Shadow of Motown. Have you yeah, seen that? Yeah, um, I, I think I saw it a long time ago. Cause it's I, incredible, man. I, I feel like I've seen it, but I, I couldn't, I don't remember when it was. It goes in depth about the Funk Brothers, yeah. basically, and how they played on more hits than like Elvis and the Beatles combined or some shit totally. like that. Totally. Or no, no, it was Elvis, the Beatles, and the Rolling Stones put together. Yeah. And they played on more hits, the Funk Brothers. Did. And so James Jamerson was the, the bass player for yeah. them for the, almost the entire time that they were uh, a functioning thing. And they have uh, some incredible music that they... Uh, uh, that they produced themselves too. Fever in the Funk yeah. House was one of the uh, songs I so I put two songs for each of these artists that I that I liked that kind of showed that artist's uh, style. And um, Fever in the Funk House by the Funk Brothers was one of those songs yeah, uh, yeah. for me. Uh, just he is it's such a his style is is encapsulated perfectly in that song. It's an instrumental uh, tune as well. So yeah, and I'm uh, seeing a bunch of cool stuff about on Wikipedia about his you know his credits and recognition. Um, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh yeah. Um, he got the Lifetime Achievement Grammy. Um, he's in the Fender Hall of Fame. Well, he, uh, he, he has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame with the Funk Brothers. Totally. Like he he is one of those guys who was probably not very well off in his lifetime financially because I know a lot of those Motown players, especially watching Standing in the Shadow of Motown, like the Funk Brothers got screwed out of a lot of really? things that they might have been due. Yeah. Um so I don't think they were ever very wealthy, but in terms of his legacy. Yeah, I mean he he is one of those bass players that that played he played with the uh Fender P bass was this well, classic he has bass. To, like just talking about the Funk Brothers, we mentioned all the hits that they played on. He has to be probably Number one in terms of most hits for a bass player to have recorded. Yeah, I mean, it has I, to be him, right? Who else would even come close? I don't know, but the thing that's that's crazy about him, the, the craziest thing about it to me is that nobody knows who he is. Yeah, like for for being this incredible bass player that played on all these tracks that everyone knows and with identifiable. He wrote "My Girl." I mean, like, have, who sing sing "My Girl"? Yeah. You're singing the bass line. You know, like you're not. Yeah. You're, you're, that that's it's one of those defined yeah. like those baselines that are defined the whole song and it's an iconic totally. song, and so uh, it's just amazing that he he um, he's just unknown for how incredibly uh, prolific he was in his in his forty. He was only forty seven. Forty seven. Yeah, forty seven yeah. when he died. Fifty six to oh no, that's his active years. He was born in thirty six. Yeah, thirty six to eighty three. Yeah, he wrote the freaking uh, "Get Ready" by the Temptations. Dun, yeah. dun, 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 it's dun, dun, it's dun, dun, all of the dun. classic bass lines that yeah. you think of. Yeah. Like he wrote like a, a healthy majority of those. So, yeah, he was incredible. He yeah, was I just incredible. I had to bring him up in, in these uh, 
in these three. I mean, I, I just wrote down the artists that he played with is the Jackson Fives, uh, the Supremes, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, the Four Tops, uh, Junior Walker, and like, you know, the Funk Brothers, obviously. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that was that was uh, James Jamerson for me. Well, one of my so my guy that I'm going to do first, um, and he, I think he's a well recognized player, but he was also someone who's like a session player for a lot of his uh-huh. life, and he he died way too young too. And uh, my, one of my main guys was Dwayne Allman. Oh yeah, and I love I just love the melodic the 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 way he his uh, solos are so melodic. I, I can't really think of any other word off the top of my head right now, but it's like the way that he phrased his solos and um, especially in the context with the other guitar. Yeah, JK totally. Uh, you definitely yeah. you, you definitely drive a lot of influence from him. I, I know yeah. that you know, there's a f- few songs um, uh, you're probably going to talk about. Uh, is the weight, is is that him? Well, yeah, he, is, he does it's all the session work. Um, for Aretha Franklin. One of his most famous session songs was The Weight, the Aretha Franklin version. That's an incredible And he goes, dan, 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 oh, dan. and he does all the fills in the yeah. slide, and then he does the key change where they just go up a half step. So he like does the whole he sets up the whole key change. He also does uh, he played in I think I think a whole Wilson Pickett album. Yeah, um, he played in that song Hey Jude, and that's how he got discovered. Really, is like he was playing that crazy lead line in the end. The Beatles of, song? No, no, no. The Wilson Pickett version of Hey, hey Jude. Jude. Oh, I've never yeah. heard that. Yeah, Wilson Pickett did a version. It was actually his idea too because. They were at Muscle Shoals, another incredible documentary. Right, Muscle yeah. Shoals, if you haven't seen that, like yeah. it's about the the Swampers, which are basically like the White Funk Brothers. Yeah, <laughs> in, no, Al- in Alabama, incredible musicians. Yeah, they, they were. Um, they were also you know factory, just like just like um, the Funk Brothers. Yeah. Not as you know, not as many hits as the Funk Brothers, but they played on some of the craziest songs. Where you're like, really? That was that was the Swampers who were yeah. playing with Etta James, or you know. And uh, he, yeah, so Wilson Pickett, I think the Swampers played in that, um, and he he um, there. So Wilson Pickett showed up to Muscle Shoals, and he wanted to record, but he had no idea what he wanted to record. So he they just, wrote it. So in they the just studio. were like coming up with ideas. Well, why don't we do this song? Why don't we do that song? So Dwayne Allman was like, "Why don't we do Let It Be?" And they're like, uh, "I mean, sorry, Hey Jude." And then uh, they thought it was just so crazy. They're like, what are you talking about? That's, like, that's a Beatles song that's like a number one hit right now. He's like, yeah, and then it'll be a number one hit for us too. Yeah, right. <laughs> it worked back, once, right? Yeah, back in the day, he, like, they just, people just did that, especially um, these more Motown, Stax, um, Muscle Shoals, those types of studios. Yeah. They would just pump out so many songs. They're like, oh, let's just do a, let's just do a Wilson Pickett version of a Beatles song. Right. Like, there's a few Otis Redding versions of some Beatles songs, I think, and... Oh, just writing versions of Sam Cooke songs. Yeah, and, it's just they, they would just do that because why not? Like spend two hours just getting everyone locked in. With some and, of the best musicians yeah. in the world in one studio that was the highest technology in the world, probably. Yeah. You know, or so they were so excited about this Dwayne Allman "Hey Jude" track uh-huh. that um, his it eventually was heard. I can't remember the name of the gentleman, but it was uh, basically the head of some record label or record company, and he bought out Dwayne Allman's contract and was like, I want to use, you're my guitar player now. Wow. <laughs> like, so, and then after that, I mean, he he did a lot, of, he did a lot of session work because Greg Allman was always the more sought after one because he could sing too. Okay. So Dwayne Allman was kind of like just doing his own thing. They were yeah. in a, I think they were in a band called like Hourglass or something like that in LA, and they looked so dorky. They dressed him up like a, that Paul Revere style with like the, oh, yeah. the you know the blouses, oh, those, like great. yeah, those puffy like 
It just sixties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just looking so ridiculous, you know. And Dwayne thought it was bullshit and just quit, and then you know moved to Florida, started doing session work in Alabama, and eventually when the Allman Brothers started, he really uh, he really started to pick up his guitar playing. I think he started playing slide, probably like probably only like four or five years before he died. And he was just apparently just a natural at the slide guitar. And for me, like the way that he phrased his solos, he used a lot of like major blues licks and scales. And for some reason, like I had never really growing up, I had never really identified the difference between like a minor blues pentatonic and that there was even such a thing as like a major blues pentatonic. And I never knew when to use a major blues compared to the minor blues. And I was always just kind of stuck on that minor third on the guitar. Yeah. Like that kind of sound, you know, and then, and then he comes along with like, uh, blue skies or sweet Melissa is like like that kind of stuff and just those kinds of runs like really inspired me to like kind of explore different modes and absolutely rather than just a pentatonic like minor blues you yeah, know? he's a beast player for sure yeah and then so what happened to him is they had uh, they had a, they had three albums the Allman Brothers did and uh, their third album was really their breakthrough. It's live at the Fillmore East. And it was like, finally, they captured their live energy that people fell in love with and like presented it to the world. And um, it's a pretty funny story, actually. There's uh, If you look at the Fillmore East album, oh, yeah? they're all smiling and laughing on the cover. And, uh, and I can't remember. What, what, is their ba- what is their drummer's name? Um, anyway, they, were all, they, they asked him why they were all... Uh, why they're all uh, smiling on the cover. (laughs) And apparently um, they had like this super asshole like photographer who was just like, you know, cracking the whip on them all day. It was like hot. They're all in a bad mood. (laughs) And uh, Dwayne Allman apparently like saw this drug dealer that he knew and like ran and like, <laughs> and got like an eight ball off him and like ran back and like ran off the photo shoot and came the, back with the goods. And came back. So if you look at the picture of it, they're all dying laughing. Um, and he like kind of has a sheepish grin and he's covering up his hand like that because he has the eight ball. <laughs> he's actually holding yeah, hold in the picture. He's holding. That's so, funny. Yeah. So anyway, very shortly after the that album was released, he actually died in a motorcycle accident where he oh, was. Bummer. Yeah. He was cruising down the road. A truck stopped suddenly. I don't know how suddenly a truck can stop, but. Either way, he didn't see it. He got clipped by it. He laid his bike down on top of him. And so this bike dragged him about 90 feet with him under the motorcycle. That's a terrible way to go. crushed all of his internal organs, and he died within like two or three hours. Oh, man. But I, motorcycles, I just I can't, can't, I do, can't it. do it, man. I, yeah, I think it looks cool. It. I could totally get the freedom. I get the everything yeah. about it. But, man, what a risk. Alante's are... Our, our motorcycle yeah. rider in the band. Yeah, and let's hope he uh, let's gives hope he it up soon. <laughs> yeah, but he's in a, he was an incredible influence to me because I've always loved the slide guitar sound too. I've just Absolutely. never really been able to master it. I've I would like to work harder on it. Hey Charles, man, I know. I think you're a, crushing it yeah. in that song right now. <laughs> so. I really do. Thanks, man. I I, uh, I like it a lot. It's just I've I've never been a natural at it. I guess like Dwayne was or you know. I don't know. But he had a whole established Derek career trucks. before he picked it up, though, is what it sounds like. So it sounds like it's something you can yeah. acquire. And I would love to do that. I think it would I think it would be sweet, especially with Emily playing more electric guitar. It would be nice to have a little bit of slide guitar, too. Yeah. 
No, I think that it's definitely with with two guitars playing in the yeah. bands, it's definitely going to lend better to uh, having that kind of instrument. But yeah, Dwayne Allman was one of my biggest influences. I remember I, I had this uh, 1985 uh, 300Z, and it had like the CD, the six uh, six CDs at a time, like All CD right. player. So I'd stick it, you know, stick it in the, <laughs> the the like right behind my seat, and I had probably eat a peach in that CD player for two straight years. Right. Like yeah. road trips. I always listened to the Almond brothers and was just, just infatuated with his guitar playing. For me, it was always Dwayne Allman. He was always the heart and soul of the band. And like, after he was gone, it's like, I don't, I didn't really have much interest, you know, anymore. Yeah. I, you know, the thing that was surprising to me and, and I learned a little bit about this just kind of through you uh, tell me about it today is yeah. I didn't realize that him and his, his brother, um, they weren't like the Almond Brothers band first and then became studio musicians. They were like studio musicians independently and then they decided yeah. to join a band together. I just think that growing up together, like you and Emily, uh, siblings, you, you would just naturally group in the same group, you know, together. Yeah. And then branch out from there. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing that I didn't didn't know about him. But yeah, he, he, uh, he died, you know, right uh, before Eat a Peach came out. So this that's the last album that he's on it, and it just has some incredible tracks on it. Blue Sky is probably one of my favorite favorites. Um, I had to go back and listen to those. I, I, I Melissa to them before, but ain't wasting time no more. Like these songs are just so incredible. So yeah, he definitely inspired me a lot, and he he's gotten a lot of critical acclaim. Like he was vo- he was like voted on Rolling Stone magazine like. I think a top 15 guitarist twice. One time he was as high as number two all time. I'm like, well, we weren't going to talk rankings. Yeah. <laughs> I, w- I don't know if I would rank. I, I don't yeah. want to be like the Bill Simmons podcast. Where he always has to rank everything. I just hate but rankings. I yeah. Feel like it's so subjective. I, I don't know where. Yeah. It, it's super subjective for all I can say is for me, it's just fodder for, for my influence. Like there's only really, there's, there's more like I can shout out a lot of guitar players. Like, Kurt Cobain, even though he wasn't a very accomplished technical guitar player, like right. Kurt Cobain kind of convinced me that you don't need to be a super technical guitar player to write awesome songs. Right. And so like I, you know, obviously got a lot of influence from him. I got a lot of influence from the way that Justin Towns Earl plays acoustic. Right. I got a lot of influence. Incredible right hand technique. Yeah. I got a lot of influence from a lot of different guys, but Dwayne Allman was one of my formative, you know, like Absolutely. So yeah. Um, one of my formative ones is it's a good segue is uh, is Bootsy. I was gonna I was gonna talk about Bootsy uh, as mm. one of one of my second bass player and uh, Bootsy is just he's the embodiment of funk uh, for me. Uh, he he started off in um, in Cincinnati is where he was born and raised and uh, Ohio. I, I, oh, dude, no. these Ohio <laughs> funk scene is crazy though. Like uh, there's some really good really good guys that have come come from uh, Cincy. Who are, who are some of these guys? Uh, like Ohio players is the one that I can think of off the top yeah. of my head, but I. I I just know that there it's it's a city known for that that kind of yeah. music, kind of like Motown is. Huh. Uh, Detroit is kind of like a. You well, know, I know the Black that, Keys are from Ohio. Yeah, <laughs> they're not they're really fun. From Akron, but, though, right? Yeah, Akron, yeah. not Cincy, but Ohio. Yeah, and um, but yeah, so he was like eighteen and living on the streets, not living on the streets, but out on the streets doing. He, he said he was doing all the things that. Uh, uh, hoodlums were doing and breaking into cars and and you know stealing from from uh, stores and kind of doing whatever he had to get by. Yeah, and um, he's a bass player. And uh, James Brown heard him, uh, and he, James Brown's whole band had uh, had quit on him because of a money dispute. 
Sounds like some James Brown. It sounds shit. like James Brown. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like in James the wrong James. here. Uh, <laughs> the late great, but uh, yeah. so he hired Bootsy and his his two brothers, uh, Philippe and. Uh, uh, What's Bootsy's real name? It can't. His be. name is Bootsy. Really? His mom named him Bootsy, and so I, I actually <laughs> I figured this out today. I, I was looking looking a little bit of information. They said, "Well, why'd you name him Bootsy?" And he's like, "She said, uh, I just looked at him and he looked like a Bootsy, so I, that that's his name." Man, I see his birth name as William Earl, but are Bo- you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like Bootsy a lot better. I, I read a I whole mean, article a about quick... how he was named today, and, and his brother's name is uh, Phelps, and the other one's Philippe. And so yeah. James Brown hired him as as his band, and uh, Bootsy and James Brown instantly clashed because uh, Bootsy. I'm not sure. If anyone out there doesn't know what Bootsy looks like, just Google image him real quick, and you'll you'll, you'll get who He's he is. He's a flashy is. fella. You'll get who he <laughs> is in the first Google image, whatever yeah. it is. It's going to be some lime green glitter hat with some crazy glasses and stars and all yeah. this. Uh, he has this crazy style. Mm-hmm. I mean, back in uh, back in the day, I guess it was. Uh, let's see, '68 uh, is when he started playing um, like uh, professionally. Um, he was definitely more clean cut, and it's kind of funny. It's like watching Jimi Hendrix play in those old. You were talking about earlier with Little Richard and stuff, where yeah. he's all clean cut and in a suit, and like, and Bootsy's like playing this bass, and he's almost playing it upright because he just he's obviously bored of playing, yeah, you know, and not being crazy um, style wise, and um, and so him and James Brown clash because of that. But I think that some of his reservation, like he 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 got good at um, not always, you know, playing. The, the longest run or the craziest note and the kind of playing in the pocket a little bit more because yeah. of him and kind of held him back a little bit. And I think that that, that probably helps his style in the long run. But then, so he only lasted a year in James Brown's band and then guess why he left? Money issues. Oh, money issues, yeah. <laughs> it's like, sounds like, like James Brown was uh, pocketing a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, he's the hardest working man in show business. He's yeah. going to make money too, I guess. You but, gotta, um, yeah, you got to make money, But I uh, So he, um, Bootsy wrote um, the baseline for Sex Machine by, by James Brown. In that oh, one nice. Year. I mean, if you think about that song, that, that's one of the two songs I had for Bootsy. And um, it's just such a, it's, it's such a driving baseline. And it and it's all like uh, a lot of uh, octaves and a lot of um, just it's it's a lot of notes, kind of like yeah. Jamerson, like what I was saying earlier. But uh, yeah, give that song a listen. That's that's a it's a classic yeah, Bootsy bass line. I would love to listen to it. Yeah, and then there's the the whole beginning where he's like, I, I want to get into it. I want to you know grooving yeah. and grooving, and it's just it's a cool it's a cool song. But uh, so I listened classic, to that today yeah. for the first time in a while, and I, it's probably it's probably the most famous James Brown song, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel good is probably oh yeah, no, probably so number, one, number one. But but yeah, I mean, it's definitely in the top. You know, whatever. We're Man's not World list. is up there. For yeah, sure. Man's World's a great song. Yeah. yeah, but so Bootsy only played for that one year, but he wrote some pretty funky stuff for uh, yeah James Brown. And then um, I think that based on what I read uh, about uh, his time with James Brown is that he kind of realized that he could play music professionally and not do all the hoodlum stuff that he was doing in the streets. And, yeah. and so it kind of got him, uh, got his career on focus. And, and, and so he, he started uh, Parliament Funkadelic after that with George Clinton, nice, which is like the iconic funk band. Yeah. In my opinion, if you're, if you were to say what is funk, I, I would give you, you know, mothership connection and just let you do your yeah. thing. Like they, they, that that's funk embodied, you know, embodied, yeah, and, and you're uh, a big funk fan growing up. Yeah, I well, so I I was a, I'm I'm always a hip hop fan. <laughs> it always yeah. goes back to hip hop. <laughs> we, we joke in the band that I I have a was a PhD in hip hop. Yeah, I had a PhD in hip hop. I just really love it, and I love learning about music that I don't. You know, I I, I like learning about about music and and how the process and artists and whatnot. And uh, so I'm super into hip hop and. 
I, I tend to school these guys on uh, on on hip hop stuff all the time, so they <laughs> make fun of me. For I like hip hop too because I feel like it's much stronger personalities, and there's like factions almost. Right, so it's right. almost like a sports rivalry. Like following rappers is almost like having a sports team where. Well, that's because it is. It's a yeah, competition. Yeah. To be an MC is is a competition. I'm, yeah. I'm the I'm the dopest. I'm the flyest. I'm the best yeah. at this, and you suck. That's what yeah. that's what the the general conversation. Which is, is why I think it's it's fun to follow that because a lot yeah. of rock and roll music is more like a brotherhood. Like. Totally. Oh, uh, I mean, you'll hear stories where people are competitive. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to open for someone or whatever at a festival. But it's like for the most part, I think they're pretty complimentary of each other. Like, right? Eric Clapton, for example, is like, "Who's this Dwayne Allman guy? I got to get him on Layla Stat." You That's know, like, crazy. It's not, on that album, yeah, on that song. But um, yeah. But so, so I was super into like um, hip hop as a kid, and um, Snoop Dogg came out. In like '93, yeah, with uh, that album Doggy Style, which and is a, uh, dude. That was another one of those albums that I had. In I was gonna say that you want to know what CD like yeah. changer? I had like Doggy Style, uh, the Chronic the 2001, Chronic. Oh, 2001. Okay, uh, I thought it was Eat the original a Peach, one. and then like a bunch of other. And then yeah. I guess I had uh, probably um, Bastards Brawl. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had Tom Waits in there for a long time. I remember an ex-girlfriend I had was like, can we stop listening to Tom Waits? I was like, oh, shit, I'm probably playing him way too much. Yeah. And that's when I realized you can't play Tom Waits for your girlfriend, you know? Yeah, there's there's <laughs> a certain uh, tiring for certain artists. Uh, and I think Tom Waits could definitely, yeah. uh, I like listening to him. He's but, an acquired taste, man. Yeah. But um, so Snoop um, did a lot of samples from Parliament Funkadelic, and it was a huge influence on him and his yeah. style. And so um, that's kind of, I, in, in my opinion, is kind of what part of that West Coast rap Sound was that's when when uh, Dre was came out Dre with, making a lot of Snoop's beats. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Dre Dre was the 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 doctor. He was the um the all the, the producer yeah. for everything. And yeah. then um uh, yeah, that so, West Coast used, style. So they great. used a bunch of uh, Bootsy stuff and a bunch of uh, Parliament stuff in in Snoop songs. And uh, what's my name is yeah. uh, is a straight up Parliament Funkadelic baseline. Yeah. And so I, then I kind of got into this. What is this funk thing all about? And uh, I just dove headfirst into Parliament Funkadelic yeah. and it was a huge part of my, my playing style to learn that the bass can be played as a lead instrument you know that yeah. that's what Bootsy was and that's why he is better as a Parliament frontman or not frontman I guess uh, George Clinton's the frontman but he's the focal point in my opinion um, and it's just he's yeah. just incredible and so uh but yeah, that's uh, my, my other song was uh, that, that for, for Bootsy just to listen at home is the, the Give Up the Funk, which has a really cool uh, secondary title. It's uh, Tear the Roof Off the Sucker, <laughs> which I never knew until today. I thought that was kind of funny. Tear the Roof Off but, um, the Sucker. But the bass line is just kind of a, it's just a, it's just a pentatonic scale, but it's just, yeah. the, it's, it's very basic, but at the same time, it's really interesting to listen to. And he does some bends in there and he does a lot of hammer-ons and he does a lot of um, yeah. kind of really... Um, notes that are placed in really weird spots but it works works really well with the yeah. song because it kind of gives it that groovy kind of feel to it and it's it's bootsy is 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 all over the parliament funkadelic stuff like that's his yeah that's his, his sound that's who his he is all yeah over that's yeah. a big part of who he is but uh yeah and then he, he plays in his in his uh solo band it's called the rubber band uh bootsy's rubber band is what it's called and uh he tours around still to this day yeah and uh so, have you seen Funkin him live up before? America. No, I've never seen him live. I think it'd be fun to see yeah, him gotta. live. You gotta get out there. You gotta. <laughs> Dude, you gotta get out there. I've noticed yeah. that like in my life, if I think I should see an artist, I just do it. Because you never know what could happen yeah. down the road. And You know, I it goes back to Claypool when I saw him play at the Greek yeah. Theater. It was last, last summer I saw him play. 
And um, my God, I, I, I saw him and I just stood in awe just watching this guy just nail every yeah. single part I grew up listening to. Like, and it's stuff that I can't play. And then he's just doing it while, you know, singing too on top of it. But yeah, Bootsy yeah. would be awesome to see live. It'd be cool to see some kind of parliament funk, yeah. uh, some kind of rehash of some sort. Yeah, it definitely would. I'm sure he's, maybe we'd look it up at some point and see what's going on with him, but it would be fun. For yeah, sure. he's definitely, he's, I mean, he's getting older. He's been around since 68. I mean, that's. Yeah, so he was what, 18 and 68? 50 so years 50. Ago, yeah, almost 70 then. Yeah, getting up there. Yeah, so my, my second guy is uh, I'll just go into Hendrix since we were talking about yeah, him a little for, bit anyway. Sure. And um, also a guy that, as we all know, died super young. So another guy that I would never be able to get to see. Maybe like in the future they'll have like some weird time capsule, like time Drugs, travel man. shit. And you can <laughs> Drugs, yeah. taking yeah. too many great musicians away. Well, Hendrix died real weird. He uh, There's a lot of controversy around his death because he was given... So he was taking sleeping pills... Um, yeah, I'm just gonna skip right to his death here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was taking sleeping pills, and um, so let me let me rewind a little bit. Basically, he his manager was connected to the mob. So really, I, yeah, I think he, I forgot his name. It's like Jeff Jeffries. It was like two first names put together. I think it was Jeff Jeffries. Let me just it's not James check. Jamerson. Um, oh wait, no, that's a stand-up comic. <laughs> Jim, that's Jim Jeffries. Yeah. Manager Hendrix. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. I'll 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 look it up. Um, he he was connected to the mob, and they're trying to get Hendrix to play these shows for like no money, very little money, just to kind of gain influence. And um, Hendrix was almost out of his career or career out of his contract with huh. with the manager. So. Michael what, Jeffrey. Michael Jeffrey. So name. Michael Jeffrey had a life insurance policy out on Hendrix. So that would be null and void if they were no longer business partners. I just so he dies right before the contract expires. And he was vocal about how badly he wanted to get out of that contract. So essentially he was worth, you know, X amount of money dead to yeah. Michael Jeffrey and nothing if he were to live through the contract. I just think you shouldn't be able to take a life insurance out on oh, somebody I don't think else. You can, I don't think you can anymore. Really? Yeah. That's such a sketchy thing. I didn't know that was something you yeah. could do. I just, so what happened when he died is his, and Emily got mad at me when I talked about this before on the podcast because she thought I was blaming the girlfriend, which who knows if she was involved, how involved she was, whatever. But the fact of the matter is she was the one who went out and got his sleeping pills. She got a different brand of sleeping pills that were, I think, four times as strong as the one that he was used to taking. So she gave him just as many of the same sleeping pills. Wow. And uh, they were they were saying he died of like an alcohol like alcohol you know alcohol poisoning or whatever. Yeah. But it was in it was in contact with the sleeping pills. He drank a bottle of wine between the two of them. I mean, I think you can attest to two people drinking a bottle of wine. It's not that <laughs> not That's that much. Tuesday night is what that I is. I mean, we drank yeah. more <laughs> that last night, and yeah. we uh, both woke up okay. <laughs> like, did we? <laughs> but um, so Hendrix is choking. Um, he's non-responsive. He's throwing up in his sleep. And um, the girlfriend calls his old man. Oh, that's who has the two 
first name is Chaz Chandler. That's the alliteration. His old manager was named Chaz Chandler. So Chaz Chandler gets a call from his girlfriend saying Jimmy is non-responsive. And this is at like, I don't know, like 10 o'clock in the morning, let's say. She doesn't call the police and the ambulance for like two hours after that. So then he's in the ambulance and they strap him down in the ambulance while he's still alive. They strap him down so much because he's like convulsing and stuff. Uh They strap him down so much to the point where he can't turn his head to throw up. So he actually chokes on his own vomit and dies in In the the ambulance. ambulance. I I just assumed he he died like in a bed or something, I guess. So there's a lot of people saying that the mob had something to do with it because it's life insurance contract and all that kind of shit. But anyway, we just went down a fucking rabbit hole. Why is he like your top two or whatever you're you're number one because then i started looking up aliens and stuff no i'm kidding (laughs) he led me down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole no i i think i think it's true that you don't like to think of like these huge personalities just being taken out by something as easy as a sleeping pill you know like you like to think of it as like a oh it couldn't have been that easy you know but there that's why i'm saying it was kind of weird how he died but for me i uh, actually believe it or not first heard hendrix um, through wrestling, professional wrestling. It was Hulk Hogan's oh, yeah, theme song when he was with the NWO. Yeah. So picture Hulk Hogan like coming down, you know, the Titan Tron. I, I could picture very easily. And he's like playing the air guitar. The and I'm like, dude, I've never heard a musical instrument sound like that before. This is a guitar. You know, yeah. I've never heard it before. So I Googled who does Hulk Hogan's theme song, well, you're, you know? You're not the first person to, to think that when you hear Jimmy, Jimi Hendrix for the first yeah. time. I mean, he's just... He's a one-of-a-kind uh, talent for sure. Yeah, so I like I looked him up, and then I was like, well, maybe I'll listen to a couple more songs just to make sure that it's still... He's, <laughs> I like him, you know? And then the first song I downloaded, and this was like back around the Napster days, so I like yeah. you know, pirated it. It was not like you go on YouTube and look back then, so I pirated um, Fire by Jimi Hendrix, and that, and that was sold. And that was mostly the drum beat, actually, in that song that sold me. I thought the drums were so cool in that song. But I think that Fire might be the first song I've ever heard, or Foxy Lady was the first. Yeah, Foxy Lady is a good one, Wayne, too. Wayne's World. Is, but then, of way. course, All Along the Watchtower is of course. like yeah. classic. And for me, it was just Hendrix's um, raw emotion in his playing, like the way he would hold these bends and make the guitar just like scream. Right. And it wasn't like, no, it wasn't like Hendrix was playing notes. It was like Hendrix was just playing like sounds. colors and sounds yeah. like it was just like this amazing experience I've never seen from another guitar player because when you see guitar players you're like oh this guy's playing you know um, he's like sliding in and out of you know major minor pentatonic like I said earlier like you can really decipher exactly what they're doing and with Hendrix you can do that to a certain extent but it's a lot more just about the sound and the feel of right. the song more than more than anything, and, and it's a lot of effects-driven stuff too, right? Uh, he played with a fuzz face. Yeah, he, I mean, not he, really. It was just he just got all those weird sounds no, out of just his own bends, and he had the craziest hands of any guitar player. I think like huh. they're just so huge and strong and powerful. And if you watch him play, it looks unreal. It looks like the guitar is like a part of his body. Yeah, like he's so fluid with it and so natural and. For me, yeah, I mean, he did have like crazy distortion, but I don't think he wasn't. I mean, he used a wah pedal a lot, obviously. Yeah, but he wasn't. He wasn't like one of those guitar players like you hear all the time now. Like all those like really top blues guitar players you'll hear now, they'll have like a little bit of delay on their guitar just to give it that extra depth. I think that there's just way more effects in guitars nowadays yeah. in general. Like he, every he guitar, every band you see load up onto a local three band bill, they all have yeah. their. You know, simply too many surfboard like, size. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like <laughs> I have too many, and I have 
three. <laughs> there's, there's so much power in, in yeah. being a minimalist and stuff like yeah. that. But he actually pretty much. So before he got the uh, the Marshalls and stuff, he showed up to um, to London and just took the place over by storm, like pretty pretty much overnight. Right in '66, and I'm pretty sure he just straight up jacked. Uh, Pete Townsend's entire rig is the story. Interesting. Like they, Pete Townsend showed him. Oh, here's my like high watt, high watt like stack, blah blah blah. And then apparently, that as the legend has it, like Hendrix just had all the same gear. Well, there's there's so, like a, a, a history of rivalry between the Who and Hendrix, yes, specifically with was, Monterey yeah. Pop Festival and whatnot. Yeah, they were uh, they were flipping a coin to see who would open for who because yeah. they felt like Hendrix destroying his stuff was like. Um, stealing his act they're stealing totally. their act so they're like you're not going to go on before us because then you're going to just steal our act and we're going to look like a bunch of assholes like we're just copying you you know and then so hendrix lost the coin flip he had to go on second so the who you know they destroy their stuff i think um i think they even had like uh like a firecracker or like oh, uh, really in their drum kit yeah if you watch it you see the drum kit kind of blows up and like there's just like this little <laughs> explosion from Keith Moon's uh, drum kit. So then Hendrix is like, all right, if you, you know, you guys can go on first, but you're not going to upstage me basically. And that's when he lit his guitar on fire. And the classic picture. Yeah, and the like classic, yeah. classic. And he, I mean, the Who's the set was incredible at Monterey Pop, but everyone will always remember Monterey Pop as Hendrix's kind of coming out party totally. in, in the United States. And, um, you know, burning his guitar, which is now like su- such an iconic rock and roll Right. You know, photo and just moment in time. But yeah, it was mostly Hendrix's just raw, raw power and emotion and just the other the otherworldliness of his sound. It didn't sound it doesn't sound like anything else. Like the closest one of the closest guitar players I've heard come to Hendrix in that turn of just like raw the rawness and the the personality and and the emotion and color in his playing is really close to his, uh, Gary Clark Jr. Is yeah, like a oh, very, that's a great comparison. A very close one. Like he he was one of the first guitar players that I heard since Hendrix. One of the only two or three that I listened to, and I was like, "Who is playing that guitar right, right now?" You know, and real definable. Like, yeah, uh, you you know who he is when he when you're playing it. Is this Gary Clark on the song? Yeah, you, just, you kind of know it. And he, of course, it was the song "Bright Lights, Big City." Oh, like, I love that, that crazy, song. crazy guitar solo. So I, I try. I think I take a lot of my my string bends, yeah, and like stuff like that from Hendrix. A lot of those screaming vibratos where you like bend all the way up, and you're yeah. kind of like not even in on a normal pitch anymore. You're maybe like a half step above, but you're shaking it so violently, it just sounds like <laughs> the guitar is like a banshee or something. Yeah, you know, it's just totally. I got. I've definitely tried to adopt that kind of you know that kind of technique into my repertoire. So yeah, Hendrix is is a the biggest one for me by you gotta start far. playing with your guitar behind your back dude i used to do that all the time did you you can do that oh yeah i used to do that all the time with Azrael, my my rock and roll band and dude i thought i was such <laughs> hot shit i was like 16 years old i'd like play with my teeth or like play behind my head or behind my back That's so funny look like such a dork probably in probably. hindsight you know? your shirt all tucked in and <laughs> yeah <laughs> bell bottoms oh man i was obsessed with hendrix covered you know purple haze did, did everything covered yeah, of fire course. Yeah, man. Yeah, I've done a lot of Hendrix stuff, and I think he's also a very underrated lyricist too. 
Like I really like uh, "Bold as Love." That those lyrics in that song are incredible. I can't recall that off just off the he, name. It's about how he's comparing emotions to colors, like different okay. colors. And um, I don't know. He he has a great quote where he's like, "I feel like I could write like Bob Dylan if I ever got my act together." Like he's like <laughs> a huge Bob Dylan fan. Like of that course, was the yeah. kind of songwriter that he wanted to be like was like Bob Dylan. So that's why he did a lot of Bob Dylan songs, like a Rolling Stone. You know, um, obviously, All Along the Watchtower yeah. is his big one. And now, Bob Dylan actually plays All Along the Watchtower like Hendrix plays like Hendrix All says, Along yeah. the Watchtower. It's so, too good. So it's Bob Dylan covering Hendrix covering Bob Dylan. Yeah. Anyway. It's him covering the cover. That's yeah, funny. Yeah, Hendrix is, uh, yeah, I think he's everyone's. We could do a whole podcast. Yeah, on I could do a whole podcast on Hendrix. I think he's, the, the reason I said earlier is I think he influences everyone, whether they know it or not. Totally. Because you can always trace almost any guitar player Absolutely. back to Hendrix. Absolutely. Maybe not. Obviously, if they were around before Hendrix, you can't do that. But you, you can trace almost any guitar player that's come since Hendrix. And I guarantee you, either they were inspired by Hendrix or something they do was inspired by Hendrix. Yeah. Their style, their technique, their sound rig. There's always going to be something inspired by Hendrix. I mean, I freaking bought, I only played Fender and Marshall amps for the entire time I've played guitar just because of Hendrix. Yeah. For 18 years. Interesting how you can have a brand loyalty like that yeah. just because of somebody you're into. Yeah, they have nothing to do with him, but he, yeah. Had, uh, yeah. he wasn't like a spokesperson. He just happened yeah. to play their, play their stuff. Yeah, I mean, I dig the Marshall sound. I might, I might switch it up eventually, but we just recorded, you know, a full album with that. With that amp, and it's it your tone, man. Good. Yeah, the tone sounded pretty good. Yeah, it's your tone, man. You gotta, yeah, you gotta, gotta, gotta yeah, stick. You with gotta it. keep it. All right, so on to the third one. Who do you have for your third? My third is uh, John Paul Jones. Oh, that's right, that's right. You said that earlier. Yeah, uh, Led Zeppelin bass player is is primarily what he's he's. I don't know of any other real projects. Didn't I, he also play like keyboard and shit for them he, too? He's a multi instrumentalist. He yeah. does a lot of uh, mandolin. Mandolin now is, oh. is is an instrument I saw that he's doing in a lot of live shows now. I know that. Freaking Jimmy Page was doing a lot of the mandolin too, yeah. for their for their recordings. Back yeah, in the day. I mean, I'm sure he he plays everything is what it what it looks like based on when when I was looking into him today. Yeah, like and, I think uh, in like Cashmere, those like kind of effects in the background, like Wah-na, like you yeah. can kind of hear that. I think that's John Paul Jones. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I know he played keyboard for him in in yeah. some places. I think that a lot of bass players tend to play keyboard. Um, yeah, because it can still dominate that low frequency. Dude, I want to do that so much with uh, our band yeah and just get one of those little keyboards that's maybe like you know a foot long and then just kind of put it between emily and i so she's playing and i want to add some like atmosphere i can do it or if she's not playing guitar she can like kind of just yeah. play a chord real quick you know for a part it might just add a little bit more depth yeah you know? i it, think it would be interesting i it, a lot of great bands do that you'd have to lend well to the songs but i'm sure we could find yeah. find ways to make it work Absolutely. find the right patches the right sounds you know sure yeah but anyway, John Paul, John Paul John Jones. Jones yeah. yeah, I mean, so I mean, when I think about me wanting to learn how to play the bass and like what what deciding factors are, I, I can tell you exactly the time that I heard the Lemon Song by Led Zeppelin. Oh yeah, yeah. And John Paul Jones, if you haven't heard that, that's the one of the songs I said I had two songs for everybody. That's one of the songs I have. It's just a one four five progression, just a simple ba- bass yeah. uh, chord progression. And somehow he makes it just sound so just incredibly, you know, it's just incredible. It was mind blowing when I heard it the first time. And and, and to think about like what a bass can do and, and still also just be so cool and so yeah. in the pocket and just, just incredible. And, um, 
when I when I heard that song, I I wanted to be a bass player. That was one of those yeah. one of those moments. There's a couple of other moments I can probably point to. Uh, my dad was a big part of that because he pushed me to be a bass player. Uh, it's like you'll actually get gigs. Well, yeah, he's like he's like everyone's always looking. <clears throat> everyone's always looking for drummers and bass players. Yeah. I oh, you got <laughs> you got something in your throat. Yeah, I uh, I actually started playing a lot of bass in um in uh, jazz bands and concert bands and stuff yeah. because I was like I don't really have any interest in playing jazz guitar. It's just it's I I'm sure there's a lot of awesome jazz guitarists out there, but it's just never done it for me. Like it's never I've never listened to to jazz guitar and thought, man, that's badass. Like when I hear rock and roll guitar, I think that jazz is 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 in general. And this is gonna be a huge blanket statement. I just think that jazz is for a specific kind of musician that yeah. that just really, um, it, it's it's for musicians almost. It's it's mm-hmm. like it's it's just too music theory nerd stuff for me. Yeah. And uh, I, I like the. Um, informality of rock and roll and i, I like, like that the, uh, too i like the passion the energy and going the, against the grain going yeah. against what you're supposed to do and the, the rebellious part of, of rock and roll there's something about just playing like an open a like distorted chord like distorted music just, in general yeah that's it, rock it just and roll. has this power to it and this feeling when i play it that it's like i don't really get when i'm you know playing a a major seven <laughs> chord like you know like yeah bling, bling, bling. just never did it for me so i never wanted my guitar style to get tainted by jazz music you know huh. and um that's why i ended up playing a lot of bass because I, I was like i want to play this music and i want to learn it and, and expand on it but i don't want to do it on my you know on my instrument i want to learn it with a new instrument right so then i started playing bass a lot well yeah so when i was 16 uh, so i got my first bass from on my 17th birthday so when yeah. i was like 16 and, and i think i was groomed from you know probably 12 years old or so from my dad um who's the big reason why i, I listened to rock and roll as yeah. a kid oh uh, yeah and um he, he would he would say that you know everyone's always looking for bass players and drummers and he's a drummer, it's so not, guess what I'm going to be? Yeah. That's what he said, you know? And, and um, he would always point out bass lines of songs that were iconic and listen to what the bass is doing. Listen, this is this is how this is going, and this is he's doing this, and he's holding together the whole song with, yeah. with his bass line. And, and so John Paul Jones is, he is the, the quintessential rock bass player for yeah. me. He's he's my number one for like uh, the rock and roll era, you know, the 1960s and 70s rock. Like, yeah, he's just incredible. He's he's all over the neck. The Lemon song that I was talking about earlier, it, it's from the lowest note on the bass to one of the highest notes on the bass. He plays every part of that bass neck, and he's just he's all over the place, and yeah. he's just incredible. And when I heard that, um, I, I was in my car in in the car with my mom. We were driving uh, to a grocery store or something. And we got to wherever we were going and we were supposed to go in. And I just looked at her and I was like, hey, can we just listen to this for just a little longer? Like, I'd never heard this song before. And she's like, yeah, sure. And so we sat there and we just listened to the, the Lemon cool song, which memory. is a really long song, you know? Yeah, that's a cool memory. And and we both just sat there and it was on uh, 1041 uh, The Hawk, uh, which is the local Bay Area station. And we just listened to that song and it was... It's a life-changing moment. And, uh, yeah. So John Paul Jones is definitely who I wanted to talk about today. Dude, Led Zeppelin, obviously we're not breaking any news here. Like, they're... One, they're to me, they're the greatest rock band of all time that is not named the Beatles. Yeah, like, <laughs> I was gonna that's say, like, hold on. Yeah, they're the greatest <laughs> rock band that's not the Beatles. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think some people would argue that they're, you know, I think it's a, it's a taste. You know, it's, it's a matter. So of, it's a subjective you know, thing. We're talking about not wanting to rank shit, but here yeah. we go again. Here we are having Going the debate, all, dude. I swear to God, that's my biggest pet peeves. Listening to uh, the Bill Simmons podcast. You know, we the were talking BS about report. That. Yeah, well, the yeah and. 
I love listening to you know that kind of sports talk radio, but p- podcasts are better because there's no you know commercials or anything yeah. like that. And he doesn't try to do the hot take stuff all the time, where it's like, let me tell you why the obnoxious. you know why KD tearing his Achilles is actually good for the Warriors. You know, like he's not that guy, but he always goes like. How would you rank this game in terms of top five craziest, yeah. you know, elimination staving off game? You're just like, why do uh, like I have a list ready like, for you on this random? I feel thing. like his guest is always going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like that's yeah. what I would say. I'd be like, who cares? Why, yeah. why are we trying to rank it? Let's talk about how awesome it was. Yeah, yeah. So I try not to do a ranking thing. We didn't want to do a ranking thing with this, but I always end up doing that anyway. But I'll but, usually just say he's my like. So for me, I think Led Zeppelin's the second greatest band of all time. Yeah, well, they just their first. Four Having albums, said all that, I just go back to the ranking. <laughs> their first four or five albums, it just it's so consistently incredible from yeah. cover to cover, album to album. They they didn't hit a slump. Like they just no. they they were just a hundred percent. And when John Bonham died, they were just like peace. Yeah, and they were just done. done. And they didn't try to to no. carry it for too long. It was like that's what it was, and 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 it was great. Uh, but my God, his his work on the bass and on some of those albums, I. Uh, yeah, the other album, the other song I, I had for him that I wanted to put on the listen to is How Many More Times, which okay. is like an iconic bass line. Yeah. And um, it's the bass line that my dad wanted me to learn. Like one of the first things, because we would, um, early in my playing, um, I had no one really to play with. I, I didn't really know any other musicians. And so my dad and I would get together. Um, it's kind of an every other weekend situation. Yeah. So I'd go to his house and he'd have his drum set set up. And he went to, we went to Guitar Center and we bought a big, big fat crate amp. So, I could play with them. How dare you? Everybody played through Crate Amps at one point, man. <laughs> How on. dare you, dude? Uh, crate is... I actually um, played through a Crate Amp, too, for quite a bit. I played... It was like a school-owned Crate Amp, and I just played guitar through it all the time until I got my first amp, which was like one of those Marshall... Ah, shit. It was like not even a tube. What, what are they called? Not tube. Uh, fucking, solid state? Yeah, solid state. I believe in Sound solid like, state. I mean, really? maybe not for guitar. I, 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 I can't speak on that, but for bass... Dude, I gig way too much to even think about going with tubes. Man. Dude, I've never changed my thing. tubes on my Marshall. It's just one more thing to break yeah. um, when you drop something or when you just set it down too hard or whatever. But um, so we went to the guitar center and we bought this crate amp, and I played from that crate amp from the jam sessions that my dad and I did when I was seventeen. Yeah, all the way up until the first gigs that I played with Ben Menkert when I was twenty-one. I loaded that bass amp into the into Humphreys for those yeah. first few few gigs, and then eventually I, I bought the Ampeg. Um, but so he was like, learn, learn how many more times. See, it's just a classic. That's such a great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so great. It's just such a great song. I love when it breaks down and then it comes back in. Yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah. So that was just, it was one of those songs my, my dad really pushed, pushed on me and, uh, it was one of those songs we would listen to in the, uh, a lot of it. A lot of the times I listened to music as, as a kid was in the car. Yeah. Uh, my, my mom and dad had got, uh, got a divorce when I was like eight. And so I did a lot of driving between their houses and they were about an hour away from each other. Yeah. So it was a lot of time in the car listening to music. And that's yeah. I mean, a big part of how I listened to so much music. And yeah. uh, that's what I remember of when I, when I listened to that song is man, I, I think I know we've disagreed on this before, but I feel like almost every band should have like that Trump card Led Zeppelin song just to like win a crowd over. It doesn't have to be like the most popular Led Zeppelin song, but I feel like just being able to have that in 
in your repertoire is like such a such an important piece of the puzzle because you ha- like I look at these gigs we play like we're playing for three hours in front of a bunch of people we've never right. seen before they've never seen us they don't know who, who we are at all so we can play original songs and be like oh I kind of like this original music but there's nothing that'll get someone on your side faster than playing a song that they recognize yeah. and playing it well. Well, I think that cover tunes in a set can be done really effectively. Well, you never want to be that dad band, Because, right? well, that's it. Yeah. You, you don't want to play Mustang Sally. No. I mean, you don't want to play, despite every single time I ever play, you don't want to play Freebird. You don't want to play no. all these 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 songs that, that bands cover. And um, You want to play a song that's recognizable, but... Also, well, I don't even think you have to play a song that's recognizable. I think it's good to, but I think if you make it your own a little bit is the best way to do totally. it. Totally. No, I, I'm all about that, too. You take I, the stripped down blueprint. This is coming from an original band perspective. If you're a cover band, I think you should talk about what you're doing as a cover band. But if you want to play things, excuse me, note for note, yeah, you all have to agree to do it. But with I, us, it's like, I'm, I'm like, hey, let's play 99 Red Balloons, but let's not play it like Nena. Let's let's get the riffs and the chord progressions, but then let's As feel out. As if Radio out, Keys is playing this song. Yeah, like, let's pretend we wrote this song, and here's our process, and do the same process with a cover song. And this is, like I said again, this is coming from an original band perspective, not from I, a I can band. come from a cover band perspective. Yeah. I've played in a cover, gigging cover band for 10 years, the end originals, yeah. and, and we... The, our philosophy on how we write, or how we write, how we write all the songs we play. <laughs> no, um, on, on, when, when we're arranging the songs that we're playing, yeah. I should say, um, is is that there's a we've decided there's that there's at least one, sometimes there's three or four identifiable things in a song that makes it that song. Yeah, you know, whether it's a specific guitar riff, a solo, if you play the solo note for note, if you play this bass line though a certain way, and then there are certain things that you can kind of change to make it your style and kind yeah. of um, what you do. And so we kind of do it, and we, we have um, some shtick involved in it, and we'll stop in the middle of a song and talk to the audience and then keep going. And yeah. and we've kind of just developed that over the years. But I, I think like that... Like quirkiness? I, I think that trying to play it note for note is almost... It's almost like you could play the radio and, and get it note for note. Like, what makes your version of this special? I just... I think you should put some of your own it's a fair touch point, into it, but you know? On the other side of the coin, if you're a cover band, you're playing... You're, you are basically a jukebox. You're a live jukebox. Well, I think of it different. You see, you're, you made the distinction between cover band and original band. I, I put even further distinction between um, cover band and tribute band. Okay. If you're a tribute band, like you are a Led Zeppelin tribute band, and yeah. you play only Led Zeppelin tunes, you should play those songs note for note. You should play them exactly how they are in the recordings because you're you're a tribute to this, this artist. Yeah. Um, a cover band... Um, I think can do their own styles and do, yeah. we do a lot of medleys and a lot of mashups yeah. um, and, and just because it kind of keeps the audience's attention and you don't necessarily yeah. have to play an entire song. Certain songs you don't, people don't want to hear every song, but they definitely want to hear that chorus or they definitely want to hear that guitar solo. Totally. And, and by doing a mashup. Or, That's one of the things that drives source. me crazy about cover bands um, is when they don't play the guitar solo note for note. The guitar solo note for note. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just like it's such an iconic part yeah. of the song, especially a radio hit. Uh huh. You, it's it's its own melody. You know, it's its own bridge. Totally. For, like, imagine singing a bridge of a song, but just singing it on a completely different melody, or you know, yeah. changing the chord progression and singing it in a different melody. You're like, well, that's not really the bridge. It's the same thing with a guitar solo for me, unless it's like a wanky guitar solo. But even like like you were saying with Freebird, like Jeff Collins playing Freebird solo note for note in your cover band, totally is like it, that's a thing because everyone knows that 
that solo, you know? Yeah. I, I hate that song so much. No, it, I mean, we, if, we did that. We, we, we early while playing in this cover band, um, we obviously got the Freebird heckler. Yeah. And, and the way that we decided to address it early on was just like, if somebody yells it, we just go and play it. Dude, that's, I think that's the best way to do it. And then we move on. I think you do it, and I've told you this before. I think you do it, and then you do it like 10 clicks too slow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just play like the longest, slowest version of no, Freebird had- and make people go... I can't believe this asshole asked them to play Freebird. Like you turn yeah. it around on them, you know. Well, we like to we like to what we do now um, because we don't have Jeff Collins in our band anymore, so we don't have the guy who could play the solo note for note, and he was our drummer, which is kind of funny. Um, but anyway, uh, is we we now we we say Freebird costs a hundred dollars, and and you can put it in our tip jar, and and we'll we'll give it our best shot. We're not very good at it. And it kind of it, it kind of is a fun. Ever work? It, it works every time because it. You it, get a hundred dollars? No, no. I mean, we we never have to play it. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's how it works. Because uh, you it, should it, lower that price and just no, do it. No, Maybe like I, sixty dollars. No, for I, the the idea is that it, it it kind of diffuses the situation because um, you know, being in a in a cover band, everyone just thinks that you know every song that's ever been written. Yeah. And they walk up and they want to talk to you while you're playing, and you're just like, hey, do you know how to play? You know this song and it's like I don't you want to you know how to play never never going to give you up by by uh, Rick was it uh, Rick, Roll. Rick Roll dude yeah. but like, like like we get random requests all the time <laughs> and it's just like while we're playing music and so uh, we're the Freebird hecklers every single time and, and if you are the Freebird heckler out there I hope you don't come to our show next time please yeah it's we, so we don't worse, need you <laughs> it's like the more cowbell guy they're it's, the same guy it's the, the, dad the Freebird joke guy dad jokes or the slap of the bass guy we got I got that the last radio key show do you see that <laughs> yeah oh man Paul Rudd, I, I love you as an actor, but you ruined bass playing yeah. a, a little bit with that line. It just Yeah. Well, it's the cowbell guy, the slap of the bass yeah. guy, and the freebird guy are all the same person. The same person. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a joke for they're each that guy set. who yeah. thinks that they're clever, but they're probably, you know, I mean, they think they're clever for sure when they say it. They think they're the first person who's ever made a right. freebird joke yeah. or who's ever made, you know, the slap of the bass joke. It's yeah. Like, come on, man. It's just low-hanging I'm glad fruit. That, yeah, like, it's, it's just such, such an easy yeah, that's joke. That's a great way to put it, yeah. It's just such an easy joke that it's not even funny. Like, no. It, it wasn't funny the first time, and it's not funny any... Uh, it's never funny. How did we go from John Paul Jones we to were ta- So we were, talking, we were talking about Led Zeppelin, and I was saying I think everyone should have a cover song. Oh, in their yeah, yeah. So, and I was, I was about 15, 14, and I did a Battle of the Bands at the mall, the Sun Valley Mall. The mall that I worked at at the time. Yeah. I definitely remember that Battle of the Bands coming through. It was before we knew each and, other. And uh, it was kind of a rigged system because, like... It was uh, it was kind of ranked. So one, the first and second band that played would have to go through all the weeks to win. Where yeah. like the last band just had to win the last week. The second, the last band just had to win the last two weeks. And then we were dead middle. We were the third of five. Yeah. So we had to win our week and then two weeks after that. But what they don't tell you is it's like a voting system. So you can tell your entire fan base all summer to come to your show to vote for you for that that, that week time. that we're scheduled. But if we win. Now we only have a week to tell people to come, whereas that band had all summer to right. tell people to come to that date. Right. So it was kind of a little bit skewed. And um, I remember we played, of course, we played an original tune uh, that's called uh, Stuck in the Middle, and it's not like the... the uh, Steeler's Wheel? No, no, it's not that one, and it's not... Um, oh, God damn it, what's that one band? Um, 
Hey, da 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 Jimmy, Jimmy World. Oh, Jimmy World. Yeah, Jimmy yeah, World. Yeah, yeah, the middle is. Yeah, called, it's, it's not the middle, the middle. It's not that one. It's, it I was an original tune that was like so bad, and the lyrics were so bad. Thank God I met Emily, or met Emily in a musical sense, because <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> those old those old lyrics were tough for Masriel. But we played Fire by Hendrix, and halfway through Fire, the whole system cuts out and the power goes out. So we go back. So you just started smashing your guitar. So we then, go, right? we go back, and we're like, "What the fuck?" And then Steve Sage is the one running it. Of course, this is when I met Steve Sage, and he's oh, like, "I love it." And he's like, "Well, you're going to go out and play again." And and we're like, "Well, can we play like a different song?" He's like, yeah. "He's like, no, you're going to go out and play the same song again. And if you play a different song, we're going to disqualify you." Oh, I think you play the other song and you 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 walk off stage. I don't Dude, care. I, in hindsight, I, 14, I wish fourteen myself yeah, would have I mean, done that, but it's like so. Then we get back out there. We're like, "We're going to play Fire again," and we like just played it. And like, of course, everyone Everyone was underwhelmed, you know. Yeah. You can't play the same song again. But um, anyway, this next band came out, and I had never seen them play before. Uh, a bunch of they're called Soul Fire Machine, and they <laughs> they came great in, name, dude. They Psych. came in hot. They started playing rock and roll by Led Zeppelin, and I just knew it was over, dude. I was like, oh fuck, like they were that song just kills, and the audience was just like, oh my god, they killed it. And of course, our fire was nullified by freaking Soul Fire Machine. Soul Fire Machine out. Who's barely on Spotify? Are they still out in there? I guess so. I I I've never heard yeah. of them before. I don't think they're a band anymore. That's funny, but yeah, it was uh, it was tough. They they ended up winning by like very slim margins. Actually, I think they won by like seventeen votes or something well, like that. Well, you weren't gonna win the next week though, probably because well, they know. actually won the next week. Oh, they, they ended beat, up coming yeah, through. Yeah, they beat a uh, Night Train uh, the last week. God, you know all these bands' names. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was a four, you know I was fourteen. That that summer was very important to my music right, career. Right. <laughs> but anyway, it, it was a uh, it was a great time. But I really think having that Led Zeppelin song that they could just bust out. And I mean, they played. So it in that's the why you want key. Radio Keys to play Led Zeppelin songs, yes. just because you got beat by Led Zeppelin. When yes, you were 14. I think it's. I think it's just a thing that uh, has haunted me over the years, and the only way to fix it is yeah, you have to write this wrong. Yeah, exactly. So, do you want to say anything else about John Paul Jones? I kind of hijacked that. No, it's, it's good. <laughs> I, I, that I, I, um, it's just his his improv skills, his ability to just to play anywhere on the neck, and the style that he played. Um, he played one style and played it really well. Yeah. You know, versus a, a lot of other bass players have multiple techniques. I mean, he has his specific technique that is primarily just playing with his fingers, and yeah. um, and, but he just has a smoothest sound. Um, played a uh, Fender jazz bass. Um, flat wound and round wound strings, um, kind of diverse and, and, and diversified himself in, in what he played. Yeah, uh, not necessarily in his in his technique, which is um, he, he just he was a huge influence on me, and it's it's a big part of the reason why I play the way that I play now, and that's yeah. pretty much the reason why I picked him. Nice. And um, yeah, so who's your who's your third? My third guy is um, still alive. Actually, he was the, he's the one guy I have that's still alive, and his name's M Ward. Oh um, yeah, all right. If you and if you've never heard of M Ward, he has a very, very unique style, and he was one of the first guys that I noticed um, plays with a Bigsby all the time and has that dreamy like, Wah! you know, that Bigsby yeah. sound, that classic Bigsby sound. But he's also playing like, um, he's like doing melodic lines with chords over like when I would just play like an open G chord, he'd play like three chords where it's like a G in one position, and then it would be like a passing chord into a different inversion yeah. of the G chord and then using that dreamy Bigsby sound the whole time. And he's he just, incredible. Yeah, yeah. He has a really incredible, the way that he plays 
is a very harmonic sound in terms of the chords that he uses. He has a very, it's almost like a, like a jazz guitarist, and I know I was poo-pooing jazz guitar earlier, but <laughs> it, it's almost like Les Paul where they're playing the melody like in the top voice of the guitar chord, and they're playing a bunch of chords below it, you know? Right. And it, he does something very similar like that, but in a much more rock and roll style. Well, he'll get on the stage and he'll play, and he'll play two parts and sing. And yeah. it's, it's incredible the, the division of uh, focus that he's able to do uh, while on stage and, and to see him play live. Um, you, you almost, when you listen to it on a recording, you just assume it's it's at least, yeah. it might be him, but it's multiple takes of him. Mm-hmm. And then you realize when he plays live that he's doing it all in one, one step. It's just in one one shot. It's just incredible. Yeah, and he plays those big arch top guitars, yeah. you know. And he was he was the guy. When I saw him, I was like, I want to play a little bit more like that, like yeah. with more of that chordal style. And also that um, he inspired me to want to get the arch top. He inspired me to want to ditch the pick and play with my fingers and my hand instead. Yeah, which I think was a huge... Yeah, it, it's... That's such a good decision for you, though. It's changed the style and the sound of my playing immensely because I used to only play with the pick just like Hendrix, you know? Yeah. And um, he really inspired me to like take that leap and, and start playing more with my hand which gave me more i think a more earthy like natural tone to the to the overall music what what i think about playing because i mean i play bass and so i i never use a pick and 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 i like the fact that i'm able to play in multiple different parts of my finger you know with the fat pads on my fingers with the fingertips and sometimes with my nails get different attack and and you can get different sounds out of it that way and with a pick you just can't i'd imagine with guitar Especially since it's a it's a harmony instrument where yeah. you're doing a lot of chords, like to be able to to hit the strings in a certain way, however you want to make that chord sound, you have more. Uh, well, I love playing with the pad freedom. of my thumb a lot. I'll just kind of sweep with my huh. thumb, so I give it a really muted like a like cool sound, and then I'll flick it with my fingernails right. to give it a more aggressive attack. So those are like my two main ways of striking and strumming. Uh-huh. But then I'll also do like upstrokes like this with like three fingers or something. And then also, uh, I, the only part where it sets me back a little bit is uh, lead guitar work. I'm not as accurate. Totally. Yeah. I'm not as accurate. Playing so sometimes I'll strings. pick up a pick and like play some lead. But for the most part, he was big and in inspiring me to have that like kind of big, dreamy, reverby, um, you, hollow body sound. A lot of effect driven stuff. I, 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 I love yeah. his tone. He has such a definable, uh, I, I guess I, I've said this with every inch, every artist, and I think that's why we picked him for these lists. Yeah. Like, um, it, it's such a, a defined sound. You, you hear him, and just it's unlike anyone else. And uh, it's it's so him. And it, it just yeah, he's he's an incredible. Yeah. he's also a great songwriter too. Oh, an incredible songwriter, incredible lyricist. Like listen to Post War. His album is probably his masterpiece. I agree. Um, and then um, yeah, what's the other one called? Hold time. Yeah, hold time. Yeah, the other one. That's a great album. Those two for me are his best ones. Like if you listen to a song like Neptune's Net, he does a lot of these like um, instrumental, like yeah, just fully I instrumental things. Really like those songs. Yeah, and they're like original tunes that he writes. We use those in our wedding. Those instrumentals. They were our yeah. idol music. There you I, go. I think I think the one that I came down to was a was an M word song. I don't know. It was two years ago, um, and then we, of course we danced to um, mm-hmm. "Eyes in the Prize." Yeah, was our, was our wedding song that Emily and I danced to. But he's so interesting because he has this very, like, delicate way of playing sometimes. But you can also, but he he has a great range of emotion in his playing. He can play like so quiet and beautiful and. 
then he can also just play like he's really attacking that thing and like right. ripping the strings. You know, it. I think there's quite a few. There's quite a few songs that I would point to. Um, Neptune's Net, I said, is one for instrumental. Uh, 100 million years on acoustic guitar. It's a great song too. Um, that that one is so incredible, and I saw we saw him play it live, acoustic yeah. solo at the Fillmore, and that was one of the m- most incredible live experiences I've that, ever had. That, was show, that concert in general. Yeah, that show in particular is probably my favorite live show I've ever been to. Yeah, and um, yeah, there's just something special about his playing. It's just like all of my guys that I like, they have a patent. Like, this is obviously Dwayne Allman. This is obviously Hendrix. This right. is obviously M. Ward. I think it's so important to find your own voice in guitar playing and with any instrument. Whether I mean, even if you're singing, obviously, everyone has their own voice per se, but sometimes people try to make themselves sound like someone else, you totally. know? And there's a lot of guitarists that just, you couldn't... You couldn't tell one from the other, especially like these metal guitarists that like practice in our in our uh, oh lockout. Yeah, like you, there's nothing unique about it. It's just like chug, 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 and it's like the same tone. You can just picture the stack, the the two big amp, and like the <laughs> probably Ibanez guitar with Ibanez, you know, of course, or uh, um, with the locking. Jackson. Yeah, it's or, just uh, like, <laughs> oh my god. And I, th- I just think that there's something really special about finding your own voice as a guitar player, and I try to. Um, and it's again, it's another reason why I never wanted to classically train like with jazz music and with classical music is because I wanted to maintain my own self-taught type of voice. Totally. So for better or for worse, that's what I did. And I, I do, I think that the most important thing in music is individuality just having your own personality in your instrument, in your voice, whatever it is you're doing is as long as you're yourself and you're not trying to be like someone else, I think that's the most important aspect. And all of the guys that I just mentioned are guys who have their own unique voice in right. what they do. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a good point. I, I think that yeah. it's all all about uh, the journey to, to find yourself and mm-hmm. um, as a musician and as a person uh, in, in, in general, not to get too deep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it's... Um, it's definitely important to, that's kind of, I was talking earlier about how I, I did this um, um, sound. I was looking for this specific sound. I was trying yeah. to replicate James Jamerson's bass. And um, I, I wanted to see what, what he was doing. So I, I went down to his strings that he uses and the pickups that he uses and the kind of bass he plays. And and, and I did that. And um, I guess this is kind of the opposite of what we're talking about, finding your own thing. Mm. But um, I, I really wanted to find the sound for this. And it, but it's, the, the it's journey not to just go in your it, ear, you know, it's also in your fingers totally. and, and it's in your heart and it's in your mind and it's in your note selection. It's in so many different things and other just the gear. Like if you're trying to seek out a sound, like the actual timbre of the instrument, yeah. I think that's different. That's like me saying, I'm trying to find an acoustic guitar sound. So I'm going to try to find a sweet acoustic guitar. Like that's different from me being like, so if I'm like, I, I love, M. Ward's acoustic guitar sound in 100 million years. So I'm going to try to find the same guitar as he did. That's a lot different than me trying to play what he plays note for note. Well, you know? but in, and so, but the journey in finding that, I, I learned a ton about how I play and, and things that I like. And I learned stuff that, you know, about who really who he was. I, I had studied him a little bit before, but it wasn't really until about a month or two ago when I started doing this that I, I found so much about him. Um, but it's that journey. It's the journey that you go on to try and find who you are and who who your your, your what your sound is going to be. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I think that that's an important thing as an artist. Yeah. I think that's a good way to cap this off too. Absolutely. So 
This is uh, Tom Davis again, the hey, bass player for Tom Radio bass Keys, Davis. and also the Unoriginals. You can find him at Tom Bass Davis. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's an integral member of the band. He's been in the band for off and on. Well, some, some would say 10 years, because oh, there's a re- recording of us playing at Blake's and Telegraph in 2009. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. As Radio Keys. Yeah, as Radio Keys. And... Um, that was when I that was a while ago. Was, I don't even know if Emily and I were dating at the time. I think that we were just friends. I remember that I had an ex-girlfriend at that show that I was really nervous about seeing us, and that's all I remember about that show. Really? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, God, she's going to hate me even more now. Because <laughs> that matters. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's so funny how shit, little yeah. that shit matters now. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter. But anyway, um, we're hoping to do more podcasts with like hopefully you and Alante. Emily, so it's not just going to be me and Alon or me and Emily or em- me and you. It's going to be like Emily and you or Emily. I mean, we're. Just, I think what we should try to do is just try to get this content in while we can. And if like you and Emily want to do a podcast and like fucking do it, and then we'll yeah. upload it to our channel. It's like because I'm going to be living with Alante come July first, and yeah, it's, it's like, going to be fun to have you you in the same house and uh, have so Alante I, a little closer and totally. And, I, and, and I, I think we're going to want to you know do some podcasts too. So. I think it'll be, I think just kind of expanding our format to doing a bunch of different stuff is totally fine. Yeah. You know? But so um, I guess let us know if, if you like this uh, different format. Yeah. Uh, let Slide into Tom's DMs. Emily loves that. Um, let, him know, <laughs> let him know what's up. All right. Anyway, uh, this is, uh, that's Tom. He's and, pointing to me. Yeah. And I'm Stu. And, and this is Stuart. Yeah. And we're going to keep searching for that sweet soul music. Sweet soul music. <laughs>